0: Let's pray together. Father in heaven, this morning we are happy to be here. And it's our desire, Father, that we would have our eyes fully upon Jesus. Have our hearts wholly set upon Him. Have our lives in the pattern of that sight and devotion. Father, we know that your word is the truth, and so we look to it. And in looking to your word, God, we ask that you would teach us. We ask for that now, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10 in your Bible. That's page 988 if you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles there in front of you. You know, I've been preaching the last two weeks, today and then next Sunday, Christmas sermons, a Christmas series. And we're following the the idea of the promise. Two weeks ago was we need a promise from God. You and I are in a position where we need to hear from God. We need Him to make some promises to us or else our, our sinful state is, is not a good one. And then the last week we looked at promise made. Praise the Lord that we have lots of promises from God. God is not a God who's far off and distant. We're wondering what He's saying or, or thinking. No, God has spoken and, and He has called us to be a people who hear His promises and believe them and stick to them and place all of our hope in them. And then So we had promise made. And then today we're going to look at promise anticipated. What we are is those who are looking forward to God fulfilling His promises. You might say that you and I are people who live by faith. Meaning, God has not necessarily done everything for us right now that He has promised us He will do. We are not in heaven yet, and we're not uh, totally, completely safe here. We are ready for God to take us home to heaven, but He hasn't yet. And so we, we wait for the promise to be completely fulfilled. And then next week we will look at Him doing that, the promise fulfilled. So today is promise anticipated. And I like this one because it reminds me that this is exactly where we're at. We are living in the struggle, the coming and going, the ups and downs of life. And those who love God are, are constantly anticipating God to do what God has promised us He would do. That's what it means. Here we are in December, and last night was a little bit of college football with the Heisman Trophy presentation, but it's basketball season now, and I love that. I got to go to Fairdale's game Friday night, and they had a a big win, and I got to suffer through to Tar Heels losing to Kentucky yesterday. But that's all right. I guess. But basketball season's here. I love that. And even though it's December, I'm already looking down the road to March. And y'all know that when March gets here, we have March Madness. We have three three weeks of nothing but basketball. Games all the time. 64 team now... 60 team tournament, it's just awesome. and It would hard to be in Ameri- it would hard to be somebody living in America and not know about March Madness. And so while games have some meaning now, and while we are uh, excited to watch games now, we're all looking forward to uh, the end of the season. We are indeed anxiously anticipating the brackets, or the release of the brackets, March Madness. And you know what it means to be anxiously anticipating something. Anticipation is a thrilling or can be a thrilling feeling. It is the act of expectation or hope that is filled with excitement. It is sensing that something great is coming. That's what it means to anticipate. It is sensing that something great is coming and then being on the lookout for it. I like that definition. I know that something good is coming ahead and I'm looking for it to get here. It happens every year with college basketball in March. And now let's carry this over. Think about the idea that God created a people and they sinned against Him at the very beginning and so for thousands of years God was promising that a Savior was coming and yet people had to just say, well, we know that God is saying that redemption is coming, but when is it coming? And they had to live for thousands of years in this longing, expectant time of, well, when is He going to get here? Because people are dying in their sins and we need hope. And they were waiting for that. But just as He promised, even as... Terry and Becky read here now. The virgin gave birth to a boy. God had said that that would happen. That can only happen through a miracle from God. And it happened. And when it happened, there was rejoicing everywhere that the Savior had come. The Savior is here. In many ways, those promises have already been fulfilled. God had done that. And just like they waited for all of those years for God to fulfill that, they were anticipating God to send the Savior. He did. And now here we are. Past that, we look back to the the birth of Christ, and then the the cross of Christ where He died and was buried and and rose from the grave. We look back to those things. You and I are now living in the uh, anticipating stage of when will He come back again? When is the second coming? When will He come back and rescue us for good? That's where we're at. In Isaiah 40, I didn't ask you to turn there because I'm going to preach from John 10, but in Isaiah 40, you have the prophet Isaiah saying this, Go on up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and His arm rules for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him and His recompense before Him. Listen, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will gather them in His bosom and gently lead those, Isaiah said. The prophet Isaiah had in mind that God one day was going to send this one who would be here for us, that would be a shepherd to His sheep, and He would lead us. He would care for us. He would know what it means to discipline us with His rod and His staff, but He would also know what it means to protect us from the wolves. He would know what it means to pick us up when our legs are broken. He would know what it means to be a shepherd to us. Isaiah says that. And I want to remind you here today that at Christmas time it should be all over our hearts and minds, that to be anticipating God to fulfill all of His promises in our lives means that you and I look to the Lord Jesus, the One born of a virgin in a manger that day, but now is the reigning King seated on His throne in heaven and is a shepherd to us. He's a shepherd that knows us. He's a shepherd that loves us. And He's a shepherd that will, no matter what, to all lengths, not let us be attacked and devoured by the wolves. We are anticipating right now our shepherd leading us and then ultimately coming and getting us for heaven forever. In John chapter 10, You have this very thing of Jesus calling himself the shepherd. Isaiah 40 that I just read is is, is Isaiah saying he's going to come one day and be a shepherd to us. And in John 10, you have him saying, I am that shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Many of you are familiar with the 23rd Psalm, which picks up this shepherd language. Let me read just a little bit to you The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. You know Psalm 23. The idea of the Lord being a shepherd to us is so good. We, we, we like that. Shepherd is a great term for our Lord Jesus. And sheep is a great term for us, His people. We are like sheep. We need help. We need leading. Jesus is the one to lead us. This is what Isaiah in chapter 40 is anticipating. He is looking forward to the day when God will be our God and we will be His people. He will be our shepherd leading us. His sheep. And it is best this way. Listen to me. It is best this way. We should not want to be in charge. We will end up lost and going the wrong way. But with Christ as our shepherd, we can trust His leading. Isaiah 40, verse 11, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms. He will carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And I want to ask you here today, in your religion, in your faith life, in in who you are, is Christ a shepherd to you? other than a Savior? Is Christ a shepherd to you? Is Christ the one who you know you need? Is Christ the one who you know you must follow or else you will be going going the wrong way? I want us to pick up in John chapter 10. We're going to look at the first 18 verses of chapter 10 with Jesus being a shepherd and how our eyes being set on the one leading us is evidence that we are anticipating God to fulfill His promises. Our eyes on the shepherd who leads us is evidence that we are anticipating God to fulfill His promises. I want to give you three points. The first is that we know Him. The second is that we are known by Him. And the third is that we make Him known. We know Him. We are known by Him. And we make Him known. Read with me in John chapter 10, verse 1. Before I read, many people know some about Christianity. Many people hear a lot of talk about Jesus. And yet, many have never heard what Jesus says. You may be in that position. You may have never read the Bible, and if you've not read the Bible, then you've never heard what Jesus says directly. You've got to check your primary sources you're taught in school. Or if you have read the Bible, you didn't know where Jesus was talking, and you didn't know where to see that. Today's passage is perfect for this. Everything that I am reading today, all 18 verses from John chapter 10, 10, are the words of Jesus. This is Jesus talking. This is the teaching of Jesus. If you're new to the teaching of Jesus, well, great, because listen up, you're going to hear Him talk. Now, John chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Jesus is making it serious that we would be His sheep but that we become His sheep in the only true way. Verse 2, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear His voice. and He calls His own sheep by name. And leads them out. Verse 4, When He has brought out all His own... He goes before them, and the sheep follow Him, for they know His voice. Number one, we know Him. And this idea of Jesus being a shepherd to us, leading us, the shepherd himself says that the sheep know His voice. I want to ask you in the midst of the countless voices that are in your life, is there one that you hear loud and clear? Is there one that you know is the one that is to be trusted? Is there one uh, uh, avenue of voice? Is there one avenue of command, of teaching, of instruction, of guidance that kind of uh, sounds a little bit more clear, more familiar to you than all other voices? That being the voice of God and that voice you know and the sheep recognize that. Can you picture with me back in the day on the side of a mountain and sheep everywhere, hundreds of sheep? And maybe several shepherds, and so this shepherd has probably 50 sheep that he watches, and this shepherd has 50 sheep that he watches. And you can just kind of picture this, way out in a huge field, lots of herds of sheep, or flocks of sheep, and lots of shepherds. And can you imagine all the different yelling that goes on? Can you imagine all the different leading that goes on? And Jesus is saying that a sheep is able to recognize the voice of His shepherd. I was at something the other night, and there were lots of kids, like maybe 12 kids or so, playing in the basement. And several parents were upstairs. We had a birthday party. And all of a sudden, one kid starts crying. And I'm thinking, oh, who is that? And the mom goes, oh, it's him. And I thought, well, how do you know? It's mine. I know his cry. She knew it. She recognized it. Jesus uses this sort of a language in referring to sheep to him. And and if you're here today and you're a Christian or you want to be a Christian, one of the ways that Jesus is a Lord and Savior to us is by being a shepherd. He leads us. And one of the very characteristics of what it means to be a a sheep of God, a a, a sheep of the shepherd or a believer a follower of Jesus, is that He has a voice that you and I listen to. We are not people who are going saying, well, I do it my way. We're not people going saying, well, well, I don't really care, but this is what I want to do. We are not people who go with our, with our own desires that we're going to fulfill regardless. We are not people living the way we only want to live with no outside influences that have a greater control over us. That's not us. Jesus, using an analogy, refers to us as sheep. He is a shepherd. And when the shepherd speaks, that's a voice that you and I know. You and I listen to. Look at verse 5. Go one more verse. A stranger they will not follow. They will flee from Him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Is that your heart? Is your heart one that says, I have this all-out devotion in me that is to God? Now that's a growing devotion and an increasing devotion because I'm on this path of, 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 of becoming more and more like Christ and I still struggle with my pride and my sinfulness, but the voice of Jesus is one I'm becoming more and more in tune with and the voice of everything else is one I'm becoming less and less in tune with. Worldliness and sinfulness is something that is not near as appealing to me as it used to be. And the voice of God knowing who Jesus is and what He expects of me and what He teaches me and tells me is something that I am listening to. If you're a Christian, is Christ your shepherd? If Christ is your shepherd, have you heard what He says here in John 10 about His voice? Do you hear that? Do you listen to that? We know Him. Jesus is saying that we know Him. You know, they they often say, and I don't know much about farming, but they often say that sheep are some of the dumbest animals on the farm. You've probably heard this before. Sheep do dumb things. They act dumb. They, They really seem to be dependent upon the farmer or the shepherd. Knowing that, helps us understand a little bit better this voice talk. We know our Lord. That's who we listen to. I want to ask you here today, is your heart saying, I know Jesus. I want to listen to Him. Are there any areas in your life that are difficult and challenging? Have you thought, what is the the voice of Jesus telling me here? Was God wanting me to be in this situation dealing with this? I had a situation come up this week that, that really, seemed to me, really seemed to me to be so difficult. I did not know what to do. And I kept thinking to myself, who might I call for advice? What might I read to get some perspective here? I don't know what to do. This is a very difficult spot that I'm in. And I found myself stopping and praying and saying, God... I need wisdom. This task, this calling that you have me in, in this particular case, is, is too difficult. I don't know what to do. And I, and I, I, I know already that I don't, I'm not going to be able to figure that out on my own. I can't call my dad to help me with this one. I ask God for wisdom. And I'm believing that my shepherd knows every situation that I could go to. And if he's going to be strong enough to take the title of, sh- take the title of shepherd... And let me be called a sheep so where I know Him and I'm supposed to follow Him and listen to His voice and not listen to other voices. If that's the case, then I can call on Him and say, give me your voice. Tell me what it is I need to do. This is what it means to know Him. That I look to Him now for what I need to know. Whatever comes my way. When I was a kid, I grew up in a neighborhood and... And really, we just played all the time. We played outside all the time. It might have been kickball or baseball or or basketball, or we loved to play touch football in the street when cars weren't going by. And we played all the time, and it was neat, and lots of us would play. And you know, we'd be down at this end of the street, or we'd be down at this end of the street, or we'd be over here in a cul-de-sac, and we'd just be playing outside all the time. And well, when when it came to be dinner time or when it came to be dark and it was time to come in, all of our families basically did the same thing. One of the parents, mom or dad, would just step outside. I mean, literally, just right out the door, stick their head out. And some of them know how to whistle really good, like one of those real big, loud whistles. I don't know how to do that. And my dad doesn't do that either. So my mom and dad would just step out and go, Josh! And I'd be about to hit. I'd hear that voice. I'd have to go. With my dad, there's no delaying or or, uh, uh, putting it off or thinking, I ain't listening to him. Let's keep playing. You don't do that with my dad. It's, he's pretty tough on those things. But you know what? We'd have, we'd have 15 people out there playing the sport. And all of a sudden, you just hear a name yelled out. You might not know, who was who that? But the kid would recognize, that's my dad. i got to go. See y'all. Well, it's your turn to hit, man. Come on, we're almost done. It's 10-10. It's we're playing to 11. We'll finish this up. Now i got to go. You hear your mom's voice. You hear your dad's voice. you got to get there every once in a while you'd have a kid who tried to yell back. Y'all have probably seen that before. I'll be there in a minute! The door had long been closed. They're already back in the kitchen serving dinner. It's a little bit different. The parent's voice to the kid's voice carries a little more weight. There's a little more authority. Jesus is teaching us that in the shepherd-sheep relationship, We know Him. We have a relationship with Jesus. And it is His voice that you and I are attuned to. This Christmas, as the pressures of the world are on you, the blessings of God are on you, and you're busy as can be, would you be reminded of your shepherd? And would you say, I got my ear to your voice, God. I'm at church today that I might understand, God, what You're saying through Your Word. I'm learning to read my Bible that I might understand what You're saying to me. I don't want to be tossed aside or tossed to and fro. I don't want to be wishy-washy up and down by all of the messages that come into my life. I want to have my ears set upon Your message, God. Number one, we know Him. But number two which I would say is even greater, is that not that we know Him, but we are known by Him. We are known by Him. Keep reading in verse 6. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what He was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before Me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Do you see that? There were other people coming before with messages, with ways of life, with how this works. And He is saying the sheep would not listen to them. There is something about a true child of God. There is something about the the true sheep to the shepherd that says, I don't listen to the falsehood. I don't listen to the world's message. I listen to the sheep. And Jesus now in verse 8 is saying that. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus in His teaching here on Shepherd will not allow, listen to me, Jesus will not allow you and I to just think, okay, follow Him. You know, sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. Jesus raises the stakes that following the Shepherd is ultimately life and death. Not following the shepherd or following the shepherd uh, from a bad heart or or pretending to follow the shepherd or just wanting the shepherd to help you sometimes doesn't work. There's a false shepherd out there who is trying to kill you, steal you, and destroy you. There are voices and and leaders and and friends out there that are indeed wanting to lead you the wrong way. Jesus raises the, the cost here when He takes it to that level. Verse 10, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I love this thing about Jesus when He talks about shepherd. So often we use the shepherd language. The shepherd language is used also for pastors of churches. But when you use the shepherd language for a pastor of a church, we are really just talking about a leader. And a lot of times we have replaced the word shepherd with leader these days. You don't find Jesus using the word leader as much as He uses the word shepherd. And many might think the analogy of shepherd is outdated. Let's just replace it with leader. But when you have a leader, you don't necessarily have somebody dying. When you have a shepherd, you do. Jesus takes the shepherd analogy here in verse 11 and says, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd, look at verse 11, lays down His life for the sheep. Verse 12, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep, and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. Folks, we need to understand that what we have coming here with our shepherd is an all-out devotion, not from you to God, but from God to you. A commitment like you'll never see before. All of the best commitments in your own life will not be as awesome and powerful and strong and certain and sure and secure as the relationship from God to you. Jesus' devotion to you in Christ as a shepherd is phenomenal. And to the point that He has to do it, He will do it. He will lay down His life. He will die. And anything coming to kill you, He will make sure He dies so that you don't have to. Now that's a shepherd. That's so much stronger than a leader. Verse 13. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Point number two. We are known by Him. Jesus gives this talk about the hired hand and the one who's not really a shepherd and the one who will there—he'll be there to lead. He'll be there to feed the sheep. He'll be there to make sure everything's okay. He'll be there to, to do His job. He'll be there to get His paycheck. But when the wolves come... Listen, can you and I realize this time of year, and I've thought about this a lot, because during December, there are so many people and so many families that need help. We've gotten more calls this month of people needing assistance than we do in the average month. This is a hard month to be living in America, and you and I know that. And you know what? Being able to help somebody cannot always be on your terms. If that's the case, then you're hardly a help. Now, people will always take free things, but it's not going to be this big patch of help and assistance in their lives to their hurting problem. People that really want to help people are there to help when the person calls and it's miserable. When the basement's flooded, it's got to be fixed right then. You can't say, well, give me a month, and I'll try to find some extra money, and then I'll help you. It's got to be fixed right then. This is the same idea that Jesus is saying. There are lots of people out there that, that, that want to be shepherds. There are lots of people in your lives that will be good influences on you sometimes, that will be alright for you or something like that. But Jesus is saying that there will come a time when the wolves are coming and your life is falling apart and things are going awful and your heart is hurting and you are desperate. You have sinned. You feel guilty. And there's not going to be anybody there. Except Jesus. You need to understand that it's at that very moment He doesn't run. He doesn't flee in the midst of trials. You seem strongest. He's a real shepherd to real sheep. And He makes sure you're safe. Point number one is that we know Him, but point number two is He knows us. We are known by Him. Verse 14 says, He makes this de- declarative statement, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Verse 15, Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He says it again. Jesus wants us to think on the shepherd lines, not so much of a leading, but a sacrificial, I got you type of leading. That's what He is. Lays down His life for us. That is strong. And if Him saying that I know you is not strong enough for you, He says, the way in which I know you is the way in which the Father knows me. Folks, you know how close that relationship is between Jesus and the Father? They're the same thing. There's only one God. Jesus is God. The relationship between Jesus the Son and God His Father is the closest relationship that we've ever seen in the history of the world. Jesus is God. That relationship is perfectly in tune. Perfect. And That is the analogy He gives, the comparison He gives to say the way He is to His sheep is the way He and His Father are. It's incredible. What a security for anybody that would believe in Christ and say, Father, forgive me of my sins. Not only do you come to know Him, but you come to know that He knows you. Did you know that in the passage where Jesus tells us about judgment, there are several, but in one of the main passages where Jesus tells us about judgment, He says that in judgment there will be people saying, "Okay, so, so the Bible teaches us, if you haven't heard about judgment before, the Bible teaches us that God will stand or be seated on His throne, and He will gather before Him every human being. And one at a time, He will judge us. And the Bible says that there will be some people who say, Father, have mercy upon me. I don't deserve anything. And Jesus will say, come on into heaven. Welcome into my kingdom. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And, they're, and they'll be so humble and so aware of their sinfulness... They'd be good folks, but they will be so aware of their sinfulness, they'll think they say to him, well, when, when were we a good and faithful servant? And Jesus says, well, when you did this, when you did this, and when you did this. Come on into heaven. And it's really a beautiful passage because it's showing us that, that some of the best people in the world from you and I's standards don't really realize they are. Because they know how much they need God. But then, He says to some people, He will say, Depart from Me, I never knew you. Remember, my second point is, we are known by Him. If He's your shepherd and you're His sheep. And in judgment, He says, He'll say, I never knew you. And it says that those people say, wait a second. What about we did this? We, We gave our clothes to the people that needed them and we... We gave food to those people that were hungry and we visited the people that were in prison and we helped the people that were down and out. What about all that, Jesus? Jesus says, you didn't do that for my sake, in my name's sake, with your focus on me. Depart from me. I never knew you. You know what's awesome about that passage? It levels the playing field. If you're the best human being in this room right now, and some of y'all are just awesome people, it hadn't gotten you anywhere with God. And if some of y'all are the worst human beings right now, I mean, just messed up, here's the good news it hadn't gotten you any further from anybody else. Folks, this isn't about how good we're doing or how bad we're doing. It's about if we know Him. Take it a step further. It's about if He knows you. Just yesterday about 3 o'clock, I got a call from Dorothy Stivers. Her husband, Hugh, died yesterday at 2 o'clock at Hospice downtown on Broadway. I don't know if y'all know Hugh Stivers or not. He lives down here on Lankford, right off of Mount Holly Road. Hugh's whole life, he was an atheist, openly didn't want, didn't want to believe in Jesus, didn't think he needed to. I visited him for years. His wife's a member of our church. I visited him for years, and nice guy, great hunter, good steward of his money, loves for people to come visit, but just a prideful man would tell you, "I, I don't need that." He would often tell me about how many Christian people he knew, sadly, people in our church who gave him a bad taste for Christianity. He would often tell me about people who have rubbed him the wrong way or been rude to him. He knew people in our church in Fairdale that are Christians that were just not very nice to him. And that he was hung up on that. He didn't want to believe in Christ because he knew too many Christians that didn't represent Christ well. And so for years, 80 some years, he wasn't. And then all of a sudden, he was in a hospital about six months ago. And I went to visit him in the hospital, and this was just about six months ago. And I asked him what he's been thinking about. In this big, strong... Tough man. I'm talking about, I saw a picture yesterday of him holding his gun with a big old buck. His forearm was just huge. Veins out of it. I mean, it looked like he was such a boss of a man. Tough man. We were in the hospital about six months ago, and I said, "What, what have you been thinking about? Tears started rolling down his face. He said, I'm thinking about Dorothy, my wife. I said, what are you thinking about? He said, I'm about to die. Is she going to be okay? Who's going to take care of her? That's a good man. He's concerned about his wife. I said, I promise you God will take care of her. She's got family. She's got church. She'll be taken care of. I said, but Hugh, here's a bigger concern. You're not going to heaven, and you know that. You need to get right with God. He said, I ain't ready for that. I prayed with him. I loved him. We were good friends. I left. A couple days later, I visited him at his house again. He's still dying. I talked to him about Jesus and forgiveness of sins. He, he loved me to visit, and but he didn't want to talk about that. he just say, nah. I ain't into all that. I mean, it happened several times. But then one morning, I was here at church. I got a call from Dorothy. She said, Hugh wants you to come see him. This was just a few months ago. I drove over there and As soon as I walked in, he says, sit down, please, young man. I sit down. First thing out of his mouth, he says, I need to be forgiven of my sins. For years, he had told me how good of a husband he was and how Dorothy Dorothy was not a good wife in this way and not a good wife in this way and got on his nerves this way and irritated him this way. That day, his song was completely different. I heard him say, I don't know how long, I don't know how she's put up with me for so long. I said, You want to be right with God? He said, If he'll accept me. This is a man who, for years, had told me how he didn't need God. He was a good man, better than many Christians he knew, and rightly so from our perspective. That day, he was saying, if God will accept me. That day I heard him pray to Jesus, Father, forgive me of my sins and save my soul. He died yesterday. And not in my opinion, but he's seen this off of totally what God says if that was real in the heart, as it appeared to me, he's in heaven because God knew him. But for 80 some years, he didn't. He came to know him. Hugh came to know God. And Hugh came to be known by God in the very last days of his life. Do you know God and are you known by God? Lastly. We don't just know him and we aren't just known by him. We make him known. Look at verse 15. 16, sorry, verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I don't know if you've ever heard this verse before.